Faith Memorial Church was founded in 1945 as Cleveland Evangelistic Center. A lot has changed since then, but one thing hasn't. Faith Memorial Church's passion for Christ and compassion for the people of our community. I want to start off with prayer, and it's only fitting because we're going to talk about prayer today. Amen. So let's pray. I want you guys to pray for me that God would speak through me, that I wouldn't just give you some rehearsed sermon, but that it would be fresh, it would be living, and it would be straight from the throne of God. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, this time is yours. This moment is a moment that we give to you. It's a sacred moment, a sacred space. And Lord, we're opening ourselves up and we're just asking that you would commune with us, that you would speak your word to your people. And Lord, that it would be something that produces a transforming work in our lives. Lord, that it wouldn't just be head knowledge or it wouldn't even just be heart knowledge, but that it would be something that just penetrates down to the very basest reality in our lives. And that every fiber of our being would be transformed into your image this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read the scripture and then we're just going to see where God goes this morning. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, Being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. That's a beautiful passage of Scripture. It's a little bit unusual to talk about prayer. (laughs) I mean, if I was going to talk about prayer, I probably should grab, you know, Jesus teaching on prayer. And, you know, when the disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray, he goes through and recites the eloquent, beautiful Lord's Prayer that we come to love and cherish and put all over our walls and say before football games and People have taken that and broken it down and said, this is a model of how to pray. And I don't disagree with any of that. I don't disagree with any of that. The problem is, is that it's been done. And we've had those conversations. What I'm wanting this morning and what I'm asking God for is the spirit behind the prayer. Not just how to pray. Not just formula, step one, two, three, four, here's the words to say. But I want the spirit behind it. Like, what, what goes into the prayer? 
And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but that's kind of been the whole drive for this series that we've been doing on signs of a healthy church is like not just what fellowship is, but the spirit behind fellowship or not just what the word is, but the spirit and the devotion behind that word. And so we're going to keep on that that vein this morning. So I'm not going to do the recap right now that we've been through the series. We may do like a concluding message or sermon where we go through the whole thing, you know, in a broad overview. But today I just want to jump right in. So the next sign of a healthy church is unceasing prayer. Unceasing prayer. Now, I think that there's two things that we need to have a paradigm shift in our minds concerning prayer. Two things. The first is the consistency of prayer. I had a conversation with a wonderful man of God a couple weeks back. And he told me, he said, as a pastor, he said, you need to devote at least two hours of your day every day to prayer. I'm like, that's wonderful. Have you met my schedule? I'm <laughs> just being honest. Have you met my schedule? You know, like I'm already pushing it without getting sleep, but let's 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 tack on some more legalistic structures. And that's what it is. When you say you need two hours of prayer, quantity don't always necessarily equal quality. And I'm going to tell you guys a confession on my part. If I mark off two hours of prayer, I struggle with some attention things anyway. So about 30 minutes into that prayer session, my mind's going to be in Sweden fighting a dragon. Like, I mean, that's just, that's just me. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like Sir Percival searching after, you know, the Holy Grail or something. I'm, that's, where, that's where my mind goes. I realize after about 10 minutes of being in la-la land that I was actually supposed to be doing something. That's, that's the story of my life. Maybe you guys are holier than I am and you go into prayer and for the whole 30-minute hour period, you're like focused, held fast, praying through. Not me. I'll be praying passionately and the next thing I know, I'm trying to figure out how to make Rice Krispies. Like, anyway, anyway. But we need a paradigm shift in our mind over prayer. We need a paradigm shift in our mind. Now, I want you to hear me very clearly. I am not saying setting aside an hour, two hours of prayer time is bad. I am not saying that. Do not misunderstand. What I am saying is you need more than that. That can't be all there is to your prayer life. You want to know why? You can say why. Why? Why? (laughs) Act like you're interested. (laughs) The reason is, is because we have been living our Christian life under a Roman Catholic paradigm. We're operating under Roman Catholic categories. We have separated what's sacred and what's secular. We have. And we have set this sacred space up for prayer, and we say, and we operate, whether we believe it or not, or whether we think it or not, we operate like God's over here, and I'm over here. And in order for me to have time in prayer, I have to come to the space where God is. And so we operate like a scout or an emissary coming back from the field to give the report of what's going on in the field to our commander. We act like God's not involved in our lives, so when we come to our next time of prayer, we then report to Him about what's going on with our life. And so we have this hour or two hour period of prayer 
or 30 minutes or whatever devotion time in the morning, and we think that that's enough to get us through the day. But I'm going to tell you something. Live your life moving forward. Eat breakfast and don't eat again the rest of the day. And see how long you go and how much energy you got. How weak you get. Because the truth of the matter is, is you need more than just a snack in the morning to sustain you through the day. And some of us, we do our devotion time four or five days a week, and we don't have any other time. So try eating breakfast four or five days a week and don't eat the other times. You need more than that. What I'm proposing in the paradigm shift is that exactly what Philippians says here, when he says talks about this common sharing in the Spirit, or some translations will talk about the participation in the Spirit. I am talking about shifting your paradigm to where now you are living your life with God. That you are engaging in a continual, constant communion with God. That your entire life becomes an ongoing conversation with God. Not I'm going to have my one hour, two hour prayer time and that's it and then not think about God the rest of the day until the next day rolls around and I have my one or two hour time of prayer. No, you are praying and conversing with God every moment of your life. That instead of it being the field emissary that comes back to give the report to his commander, it's like the scout turning to his buddy right beside him and telling him what's going on. It's a whole lot easier to talk to somebody about a car wreck if you're both standing there looking at the same car wreck rather than trying to report it to somebody else an hour or two later. But that's the way we've been living our life in prayer is we act like God's not even in the room. We talk about him like he's not in the room. We sing about him sometimes like he's not in the room. That's why I love the worship songs that we sang this morning because the majority of them weren't just singing about God. They're singing directly to God. You deserve the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Not, hey, God deserves the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's a shift in your mind when you move from singing about God to singing to God. Or when you move from talking about God to talking to God. When you move from participating and having your life thinking that God's somewhere over here and then actually having and living your life together with God. It's a shift. See, what you don't realize is when you have that segregated time of prayer and that's it, you're actually operating under an Old Testament mentality. The Old Testament mentality is you had to get clean and you had to, you know, bathe and wash off in the bronze laver and you had to go through all the rituals so that you could offer, you know, so that the priest could go into the inner court and then once a year the high priest could go through his procession so he could go into the Holy of Holies or you had to get everything together to come and offer your sacrifice at the appointed time and that was how you worshiped and that was how you spent time or communed with God and you had your regulated times of prayer. All that's fantastic. But that's the Old Testament mindset. And you're moving away from the true heart of what New Testament Christianity is. The true heart of New Testament Christianity is that the veil was torn. God came out of the Holy of Holies so that He could then dwell in you. So that the Spirit of God could live inside of you. It's not that God's over here and you have to go to Him. He's right there in you and with you. And so if you're living your life where you're not saturated and thinking about God and having the ongoing conversation with God, you're missing out on one of the greatest blessings of New Testament Christianity. To be able to talk to God 
at any point in time, no matter where you're at. Driving down the road, you can have a conversation with God. Sitting at your desk, you can have a conversation with God. Lying in your bed, you can have a conversation with God. Like, and I think that we take that for granted because we don't really realize how profound that is. That the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the first and the last, He who was, who is, who is to come, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, is willing to listen to you whine while you're laying on your couch. <laughs> and He wants to. I don't want to listen to you whine. <laughs> you don't want to listen to me whine. But God, who is perfect in splendor and majesty and holiness, doesn't just ask you to. He wants you to come. Cast all your cares on Him. Look, when I'm operating under cares and I'm expressing my cares, I seldom do that in a calm manner. You know, you think about it. When you're really passionate about something or you're really tore up about something or you're really brokenhearted about something and someone lets you vent to them, does it ever come out calm, cool, and collected? No, it comes out with tears and maybe the occasional cuss word. No, y'all are too holy for that. Maybe, <laughs> but may, maybe the intentional by word will we'll do that or, you know, like a Christianese version of a cuss word because we don't want to say the actual words. We've kind of invented these little Christian phrases to go in their place, haven't we? Come on. Let's do what, let's do what Faith Dad always does, what Mike does. Take your halos, take them off your head, and set them in the seat next to you so we can have a real conversation about what life is really like. When you vent, you vent. You drag yourself and everybody that's involved in the situation right through the mud because you're wanting to cast your cares off of yourself. You're wanting to get it off of your chest. You want that weight to be taken away from you. And praise God if you've got friends that are willing to walk through that with you. It's not bad. It's not gossip to say I need to vent and express my feelings and get this stuff off of me. Listen, God's a big boy. And he is bigger than your whining. Let, let's get that outright. Go through the Psalms and listen to David's prayers. He is like, he's not just saying, Lord, they said something that they shouldn't have said. No, he's like, Lord, kill them. Strike them down. Annihilate their name and their family from the face of the earth. That's how he gets into prayer. That's how he prays through his situation. Now, I'm not saying that you should pray that over people. What I am saying is that the emotion of expressing how you really feel to God is something you need to do. Because if you're not real with God, you're never going to see the realness of God in your life. Let's say that again. If you're not real with God, you're never going to see the realness of God operating in your life. Let's stop faking it. Authentic Christianity. Because the world sees enough fake on the TV every day. They don't need fake from you too. If there is one thing that a sinner can recognize, it's a fake Christian. I'm serious. When I was in sin, if I seen somebody that had that slap on hashtag bumper sticker Christianity and they lived worse or as bad as I did, I could recognize them from 10 miles down the street. But when somebody walks up who's real... Even if you don't like it, you can recognize it. We need to get real in our prayer. And we need to stop thinking that prayer, we have to come with some formal junk that doesn't help anybody. That's why we set up these little times 
to go into prayer because we think that we need to come with a certain persona and we need to come in a certain spirit or in a certain attitude. No, you just need to come. Let God handle the attitude. Let God handle the spirit. Let God handle the situation. But you just need to go. I'm going to, you guys know I suck at math, right? I've made that fairly obvious. But I practiced this one, okay? I practiced this one. We're going to do some math together. All right, are you guys ready for this? All right, so let's be honest. Don't look around. Everybody look straight forward at me. Everybody look straight forward at me. Let's be honest. How many of you pray for 30 minutes or less a day? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. No shame. 30 minutes or less a day. Okay. How many of you pray for less than an hour a day? How many of you pray for less than an hour and a half a day? How many of you pray for more than an hour and a half a day? Okay. Perfect. Perfect. All right. I want to do some math with you. The majority of the congregation prays for an hour and a half or less every day. Let's do some math. If you have an ongoing conversation with God, and here's what I mean by that. You stub your toe, and you're like, Dear Lord, thank you, Jesus, that I didn't say something worse. <laughs> you struggle with a coworker, and you're like, Lord God, please, I want to show your spirit to them. I want them to see the fruit of your spirit. I do not want to be another reason for them to hate Christianity. I don't want to be an excuse for them not to believe. Help me. Conversations like that. Do you guys get what I'm, what I'm saying? Let's say you start doing that. You start living your life that way where you maintain an ongoing conversation with God throughout the day, every day. If you do that, it'll accrue, add up, to be about a minute to two minutes over a 15 to 20 minute period. Right? So that puts you five to six minutes every hour if you add that up. My math's still good? We still, we still tracking together? All right. There's 24 hours in a day. And if you sleep eight hours of those 24, if you sleep eight hours of those 24, yeah, right, who sleeps for a full eight hours anymore? If you sleep for eight hours, that leaves 16 hours in the day where you're awake. If you maintain an ongoing conversation with God and you pray for four to five to six minutes every hour, by doing that, it adds up to being an hour and a half a day. Roundabout. It adds up to being a little less or a little more than an hour and a half a day. So you already, by making that simple transition, you don't have to stop your devotional time. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just saying if you add that in, say you have a 30-minute devotional time, now you add in praying consistently throughout the day, five, six minutes every hour. Now you have got to the point where you are praying two hours a day, which is more than almost everybody in the room. Do you see that? Do you see that? Does that make sense? It's just a paradigm shift in your mind. Is this helpful? Because if it's not, we can talk about something else. I I just want to get practical. I want to get past, you know, the preaching a pretty message, and I want to actually help somebody. Because let's be honest, sometimes prayer is difficult. How many of you guys have had a hard time praying in the past? You go to pray, and it's like, dear Lord, this is boring. I hate this. How many of you guys have asked yourself the question, God, if you know everything... And you're here with me. 
and you've seen the same things I've seen, and you know far more than I know, you know what I need. Why should I pray? How many of you guys have asked that question? Come on. Let me tell you something. This, this is going to blow your minds. Maybe, maybe not. Prayer isn't for God. It blesses God's heart to commune with you, His children. But prayer doesn't change God. We're not going to get into whether or not you can change God's mind on a situation or change how He's going to handle a situation. We're not going to get into that theology right now. What we are going to get into is prayer does not change the nature of God. God is immutable. He's unchangeable. Prayer doesn't change Him. But guess what? Prayer changes you. It absolutely does. We've been talking about through these signs of a healthy church about the different areas and what rooms they are and how they make up the construction. We've kind of been building a house together. You know what prayer is like? Prayer is like the bathroom. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. This is funny and then we'll move past. But prayer is like the bathroom. Listen, you ignore the room, the bathroom, until you need it. And the moment that you need it, it becomes the most important room in the house. You are willing to knock down kids, spouses, friends, run right over top somebody's back to get to the bathroom. What is it? What is it? If the doo-doo demon comes at you, <laughs> you are willing to take everybody out to get to the bathroom. Listen, come on. I said take your halos off. Take your religion off too. I can talk like this behind the pulpit because this is the way I would talk to you if you were having a conversation in the living room. It doesn't defy the sacredness to say a joke. It doesn't defy or take away the sacredness of this desk to say a joke and to laugh together. But prayer is like the bathroom because guess what? You go in there looking one way in the morning and you come out looking another way. I'm serious. Listen, some, some of us wouldn't want to see each other before we've had our time in the bathroom in the morning. Come on. You come out looking one way and walk out looking like Michelle Pfeiffer. I mean, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> but I'm serious. I'm serious. There is some purging that goes on in the bathroom. You know, this too shall pass. Like, there is some purging that goes on in the bathroom. There is some relief that comes. There is some transforming work that goes on there. Some of it's more extensive for some of us than it is for others. But there's some stuff that happens in the bathroom. There's some cleansing that goes on in there. Makes our breath smell better. <laughs> The way we, we talk, people are more willing to have a conversation with us after we've had our morning routine in the bathroom than afterwards. That's why I say that's, that's a lot like prayer. Because not only does prayer cleanse you, it's a washing effect by spending time in the presence of God. Definitely makes your breath smell better. I'd hold, rather talk to somebody that spends time with God in prayer than not. Especially a, a believer. A professed believer that doesn't spend time communing with God is one of the worst people to talk to. Because most of the time they're not really a believer. They just profess it. But that's a side conversation. It 
cleanses you, it transforms you, it changes you, it molds you to his image, it makes you see things differently. Then you go into the bathroom with the morning groggy eyes and everything's foggy and then you wash your face, you can see clearly. You sing that, I can see clearly now. Anyway. (laughs) But that all happens in prayer. That all happens in prayer. There is a powerful, powerful work that goes on. And it doesn't have to be you setting uh, aside some two-hour period to pray. I'm not against that. The more time you spend in prayer, the better. But what I am saying is if you're setting aside a two-hour block, that halfway through, you're just sitting there staring at the wall waiting for the clock to tick so you can say you've had your time. It was a waste of your time anyway. I would rather you not spend that and spend your whole day communing with God and see what transformation happens in your life. Because the one is a segregated Roman Catholic Old Testament mindset and the other is New Testament Christianity having a common participation in the spirit of the living God. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's, let's move on. So the first thing that needs to change, our perception that needs to shift, is the consistency. How we look at prayer. That needs to shift. Because anybody can have a two to three minute conversation. Even people that don't like to talk. You can drive down the road and say, Lord, I've had a hard day. I need your help. Your prayer doesn't have to be profound and be complicated. It doesn't have to be eloquent. You don't have to start quoting Scripture and King James only. Like You can just get real and talk to God and just say, God, you see where I'm at? You see this hell that I'm walking through? You see that every demon and devil in my vicinity seems to have their crosshairs right on my back? I need your help. That is a powerful prayer. Saying, Lord, Father, God of all creation. I come before you with prayer and supplication. And you go through a whole bunch of ritual reciting things that you don't know what they mean and don't understand and couldn't really define it if somebody explained it to you. That's not powerful. That's not praying from the heart. That's praying from somebody else's script. And God ain't in that. Pray from your heart. The overflow. What's in you, let it out. If it's toxic, let it out. Because guess what? That's the only way it's going to get cleansed. You know, we talk about religion and the whited cup with the poison and the mud and the dirt and the filth inside. But guess what? You keep pouring water into that, eventually that nastiness in it will flow out of it. It has to come out. Let it come out when you're alone with God, driving down the interstate. Just keep your eyes open because one time I was praying while driving and I closed my eyes and I wrecked. So that's a true story. That's a true story. I was a new Christian. I didn't know what I was doing. But keep your eyes open while you're driving. You can pray with your eyes open. Religion says you can't, but Christianity says you can. I ain't ever found the scripture where Jesus said, all right, with all heads bowed and eyes closed. (laughs) I've looked. I ain't found it yet. I've looked. I ain't found it yet. All right. What? Watch and pray. It says watch. Look. Look. Look and see. From where do your help, does your help come from? You've got to look. I mean, anyway, moving on, moving on, moving on. All right. Philippians 2. 
The first thing I said was the consistency. That needs a paradigm shift. We need to shift our mind on the consistency of prayer. The second thing is we need to shift our mind on the content of prayer. On the content of prayer. Now before we even get to that, I need you to hear this. Paul starts this off with a rhetorical question. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, I am going to tell you something right now, and this may be harsh, so I'm going to warn you by saying, suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) This may sound harsh, but if you do not ever have encouragement from Christ and comfort from His love, you are not united with Christ. And we need to fix that. I'm serious. The union, the mystical union with Christ, having the Messiah, God the creator of all things, the master of the heavenlies, the great I am, putting on flesh, born of a virgin, coming into this world, living a sinless life, going to the garden of Gethsemane, taking your sin upon himself, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, and then took that to a tree to become the curse for us in order that we might be redeemed from the curse, as it is written, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree, and then went to the grave to conquer death, hell, and sin, sin and then rose from the dead to extend an invitation for us to participate in life everlasting with him and then ascended 40 days later to sit at the right hand of the majesty on high forever making intercession for us jesus accomplished your atonement jesus extended an invitation for eternal life jesus sits at the right hand of god on the heavenly mercy seat forever praying for you and you don't have any encouragement you don't have any comfort If you don't, you don't know him. And if you don't know him because you don't have any comfort, I don't care where we're at in this message. Ten minutes from now, you say, I don't know him. Walk up to the front and somebody will pray for you and introduce you to Jesus because that's what we're going to be about in this church. Amen? Amen. Sorry, that had to be a little side excerpt, but I felt in my spirit that somebody was going to be here that didn't know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you need to meet him. Because life sucks without him. It's unbearable. It's impossible. (laughs) It actually is impossible. Existence isn't. You can exist for a short space of time and you can breathe and you can eat and you can sleep. But life, life is impossible without him. All right. He moves on from this. So the first thing about prayer is about the union with Christ. It's about relationship. It's about participating in the Spirit. It's about having this oneness and this fellowship with God. The second thing in prayer that prayer should be about is about unity. Unity one with another. Have you guys ever prayed for somebody else? Should. I mean, if you're a Christian, you should have prayed for somebody else. but have you ever noticed that it's easier to have faith for somebody else than it is to have faith for yourself somebody's sick i can pray for them and believe they're going to be healed i go to pray for myself and it's like oh you know maybe maybe not this is I'm, i'm being honest 
I'm still dealing with a stupid ankle injury. <laughs> and I thought, I thought it was good. And then yesterday it said, no, I'm still here. And I can pray for it, and I'm like, eh, maybe, maybe not. But I can pray for you to, your injury, and I can have all the faith in the world. No doubt God's going to take care of that. You know why that is? Because when God, Paul lists out the gifts of the Spirit, the one gift that's plural is the gifts of healing. Every other gift is singular. The gifts of healing. I'm going to tell you something. You don't possess the gift of your own healing. You don't possess your own gift of healing. Somebody else does. Because we are supposed to pray one for another. And see, if I pray for you and you pray for me, guess what? We both got prayed for. But if I pray for you and you don't pray for me, then I don't know what a good word is <laughs> to even describe. I'm out in the cold. Or if you pray for me and I don't pray for you, then you're left out in the cold. Well, praise God. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I hope you do pray for me because trust me, I need it. That's not even that. That's just a a humble plug. I I need the prayers. But and you do too. You need prayer. There's a lot going on in the spiritual realm that you don't see. And trust me, you need prayer. You need to be covered in prayer. But the reason that your prayer is more powerful with someone else, Paul talks about it right here in Philippians. He says, I'm going to quote King James because I don't have NIV memorized, but he says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than himself. And not every man think on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Don't think on your things. Don't esteem yourselves, but esteem others as better than you and think on their things. You want to get healed? Find somebody that has something similar to what you have and pray for them. You want that financial blessing? Pray for somebody else to get it. And be happy when they do. You want that social breakthrough? Some of us need some social breakthrough. I'm just, I'm just being honest. You want that social breakthrough? Pray for somebody else to have it. You want that relationship restored with your children? Pray for somebody else's relationship with their children to be restored. There's enough prodigals in this world and in this church where you could find somebody else that's suffering with an estranged child and pray for them. Pray for other people and watch God work in your life because you are praying for them. So that's the first thing is unity. And guess what? Unity directly leads into humility. Because you can't be unified when you think it's all about you. Listen, I have bad news for you. Life is not about you. It's not about me either. This Bible, this one, and the one you have, it's not about you. It's not. It's for you, but it's not about you. This is the autobiography of God. It's about God. This is the story of God. Your life is the story of God. And guess what? You're not even the main character. You're a minor character in his story. But we treat our life in this narcissistic society, in this prideful, self-centered society, we treat our life like we're the main character and everybody else is just an actor on the stage or the performance of our existence. 
We treat everybody else like props, expendable props in our life. And my generation and the generation following is the most guilty of that that I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, think about it. Our social media, we like fill it and take pictures of what we're eating and where we're going and think that people care. And the worst part is, is that people do care. Like, it's bad that we have narcissists that think that other people care about that much about our lives, but then we have people that feed into that narcissism and do care and then reshare what we had for breakfast because they want somebody else to care. It's like, it's so dumb. So dumb. <laughs> Breach. But no, it is. It is so dumb. Everybody's just actors, fill-in roles backup actors props on the stage production of our life and that is not biblical and that is not christianity you are a supporting character in god's story it's all about god it's not about you it's all about god it's not about you and true humility gets that look it i'm not saying you have to hate yourself I am not saying that you have to think terribly awful about yourself. I'm not saying that you have to go and say, I am a worm and no man. Like, I know we've all been there, but I'm not saying that's where you have to operate. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is just thinking of yourself less. Moving away from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. Look, you can be confident in the abilities God gave you. My biggest pet peeve is I hate false humility. I hate false humility because really it's just pride masquerading as something holy. I hate it. If you're good at something, say you're good at something. If you're bad at it, admit that you're bad at it. I'm not telling you to think less of yourself or pretend. I'm just telling you to stop being so fixated on yourself because you're not that important. I'm not that important. God is the only and truly important being. And the great thing is, is that value is placed in how much someone is willing to pay for something. God esteems us way better than what we are by putting value in us and giving himself for us. So your importance and your value comes from the fact that God likes you and that he loves you. Not because you are inherently valuable or important and not because I'm inherently valuable or important because neither one of us are. So... Changing the content of prayer, participation in the Spirit, unity, humility, and it flows directly into obedience. That's why it says Christ became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. That is, when we have humility and we realize that this is about God, it isn't a big stretch for us to flow into service to God. Us to be obedient when we realize that He is our Creator and He observes the right to issue commands and instructions to the thing which He created. And obedience flows directly into sacrifice. That's why it says, even the death of the cross. Because sometimes what God's going to ask you to do isn't exactly comfortable. Sometimes what God's going to ask you to do isn't pleasant. But I, I always think about this. I don't know who perpetrated the lie. But you don't have to be happy all the time. <laughs> you don't have to be happy all the time. 
I am sure you don't have to be happy all the time. God did not promise you that you would be happy all the time. Suffering is a hidden gem of Scripture because oftentimes God becomes more real to us and more present to us in our times of suffering than in our times of being happy. You rejoice. You rejoice is an action. It's a command. You rejoice. You force yourself to recognize that the joy of the Lord is your strength, but that's not necessarily a feeling. That is an imperative choice that you make. To rejoice actually means to spin. If you trace it back to its root word, it means to dance and to spin. So it means you can kind of be, you know, like Emperor Nero, you know, Tradition has it that when he set the city on fire and he blamed it on the Christians so he could kill Paul and the other Christians, that he, half the city was burning and he was walking through playing whatever instrument it was. I always picture a violin. I don't know why, but he's just got these buildings burning. This guy's walking through it playing a violin. I've kind of twisted that. I've kind of twisted that and like sanctified it a little bit. And now I say, I don't care if I'm walking through and the entire world is burning around me. I'm going to have some kind of worship song on my lip, even if I am not feeling it in the moment. And I love the fact that they sang, I'm going to see a victory because that is my all time. I say my all time. That is one of my all time favorite songs. And the reason is, is because when we were in Mississippi, and the entire world around us was burning. And everything was going wrong. And everything was crashing down around us. That song had just come out. And I was like, I had that song on repeat. It would end and I'd start it back over. It would end and I'd start it back over. And I think for like three weeks that was the only song I listened to. Because my God can never fail. He knows only how to triumph. I'm not backing down from any giant because I know how this story ends. I mean, if that song doesn't get you fired up and ready to take on hell with a water pistol, no song will. I mean, I'm serious. You, know, you, you get in these mindsets of where you think that you have to be happy, and then when God asks you to go to a church that doesn't have the best music or a church that doesn't have the com- most comfortable seats or a church that may be five minutes further across town, Or maybe he wants you to stand up and to preach or to give an exhortation. And you're like, I don't really feel like that. What are they going to think? Or maybe he wants you to share the gospel with somebody that may be on their way to hell. We think about our comfort and our feeling and our reaction to what he instructs us to do more than we think about the prevalence of his command. We do. God says, share the gospel. Say, oh, what if they reject me? What if they do? What if they punch you in the face? What if they kick you in the shin? Listen, I've shared the gospel with a lot of people. I've never had anybody punch me in the face or kick me in the shin. I've had people yell at me. People put their hands up in my face, but never had anybody hit me. But that's, that's a side note. You're probably not going to get punched if you share the gospel. But we always run God's instructions through our, our feelings. How's it going to impact us? How's it going to make us feel? How's it going to leave us? How's it going to make us look? That's religion. And that stuff needs to go. Stop worrying about that because that moves you. When you aren't operating in humility, when you get to the obedience portion, it's like 
It's like, you know, when you have gears, you guys see the gears, and then there's like a piece of a rock that gets them stuck in the gears, and the gears hit, and they just catch. They won't turn because there's a cog in the wheel. There's a rock in the gear. There's something preventing the motion from going and operating in the way it's supposed to. Your self-centeredness, my self-centeredness, when we try to move from unity to humility into obedience, when we get to the obedience and it inevitably leads to sacrifice, you catch. And it's like the computer saying, does not compute. Or there's, there's a network connectivity error. Or there's a problem. There's a fly in the ointment. Because you have to go through the flow. You have to have the unity. You have to esteem others better than yourselves. You have to think on other people's things. You have to have the humility. In order to fully operate in obedience, you have to realize that it's God, others, then ourselves. And until we get into that servant form of leadership, we are never going to get this right. You're never going to get this right. You guys following me still? We still still good? We still grooving? Okay, perfect, perfect. And then as it flows from sacrifice, guess what it flows into? Some of the most beautiful words ever written. I'll open it back up. Some of the most beautiful words ever written. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven, in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that beautiful? Oxology, it's, it's a, a bursting forth of praise from the heart. And your worship will change. That's why I did worship before prayer because worship is what? You guys remember? It's a preoccupation with God for who he is, for his person, not for what he's done, not for what he's doing, but just because he's God. It's a fascination and a fixation because of God being God. That's worship. And when your prayer flows, participation in the Spirit, unity with one another, humility, moving away from being self-centered to being Christ-centered, into obedience, into sacrifice, Guess what? Your worship will change. When you realize that it's all about God and not about you and you're willing to give everything that you own and everything that you have in obedient surrender to God, your worship will change. That's why many of us say our prayer life is boring. It's because we're not following the flow. The content of our prayer is chaotic. We're fixated. We're like, God help me. God bless me. God deliver me. God God, me, 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 me. And our prayer list looks like we're going to Ingles or to, wow, Ingles. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> That's old school. And I, I mean, maybe not. For, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble. Woo, back up. <laughs> it looks like we're going to Walmart, open list, and like, God, if you could accomplish these things for me, great. I'll check back in with you the next time I have my grocery list ready. That is not New Testament Christianity and how we are supposed to pray. We participate and have constant communion with the Spirit. We pray one for another. We think on other people's stuff, not just on ours. We move away from being self-centered and move into being Christ-centered. And we ask God to lead us 
and direct us and ask what He would do in our lives. And then we surrender and we sacrifice and do those things, even if it hurts, especially hurts because sometimes the pain is just him cutting off that flesh that we don't need there anyway sometimes it's burning off that dross it's purifying us it's making us more like jesus and then always always flows back into worship that's how prayer goes and if you mirror that over to the lord's prayer he starts our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name Participation, communion in the Spirit, establishing the relationship. Our Father, establishing the relationship. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory and the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. You see, it starts with worship and participation, communion in the Spirit, and it ends with worship. And the unity, the communion, the humility, the obedience, the sacrifice, all of that is there. But guess what? You go through the Lord's Prayer and see what it doesn't say. The word me... And the word I make no appearance. You have God and you have us. You don't have me and you don't have I. Think about the last time you prayed. How many times did you say me or mine or I? I'm guilty of it too. Because the things that I'm dealing with seem a whole lot more real to me at times than the things that y'all are dealing with. And that's because Satan wants, when I say Satan, I'm just talking about the kingdom of Satan. They want to put these blinders on you. So you only see what you're dealing with because they know you really ain't got a whole lot of power with what you're dealing with anyway. They want you to be in your own little bubble. Because if you see what so-and-so over here is dealing with, you can muster up the faith to lay hands on them and see some crazy things happen. But they don't want that. They want you to be confined in your own little sphere. And so what we need to do in the content of our prayer is we need to take the blinders off so that we can begin to see. Make sense?